Welcome to Creativity, the podcast where art and engineering collide. In this podcast, we discuss our personal and creative endeavors ranging from woodworking, electronics, art, and life in general. My name is Max Maker, and this is my co-host, Jeremy S. Cook. Hi, everyone. Our guest this week is a founding member of Tested and also the founder of Foo VR. He's a fanatic about technology, and we're thrilled to have Will Smith on our podcast today. Will, can you say, say hello to everybody? Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. And, and you know, it's funny. This is it seems like what you guys do is what I've been doing uh, most of my career, I guess. So it's, <laughs> it seems like a good fit. Well, it's great having you. And I'm thrilled, you know, just to hear your voice on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. One of the funny things about podcasting, you know, I, I, I've done a lot of stuff over the last 15, 20 years. Um, but the pod, podcasting, it, it turns out if you go to cities where people have big commutes, you get recognized by your voice, just like standing in bars and at the grocery store talking to people and stuff. Um, so, so LA and Seattle and Atlanta, I, it turns out I, I, I can get voice recognized, which I didn't think was a thing. So, so here, here we are, but yeah, it's great to be here guys. Thank you all so much for having me. So how, how often does it happen that somebody hears your voice and there's, Oh, Hey, you're, you're Will from, uh, from the podcast. I mean, it's, it's usually more like, they look at you and it's like, did, did we go to high school together or something? How do I, I, I feel like I'm used to screaming at you in my car, maybe. What, what's, what's this relationship? And, and yeah, <laughs> it's happened maybe two or three times all in, but it's, it's an odd enough thing. And I think it's completely unique to either podcasting or maybe being like an NPR host in the United States. Um, so yeah, I, I guess it happens to Lakshmi Singh a lot too, but I, I don't know for sure. I'll have, if I ever meet her, I'll have to ask. Um, so, Will, can you tell us, tell the audience about yourself, kind of what your what your background is, what what you what you're all about, I guess. Yeah, of course. Um, so I started out about uh, 20 years ago now. Wow, uh, I started writing uh, reviews for Ars Technica, which at the time was a very small, brand new site started by a handful of Harvard Divinity students, and then I came in uh, three or four months, I think, after they after they started posting every day. And uh, worked there for a while. Ended up running Maximum PC Magazine for a pretty good chunk of time there in the in the early 2000s to late 2000s. And around 2010, I wanted to do something different. And uh, so Norm and I left Maximum PC. Uh, Norman Chan, my my co-host and co-founder at Tested, uh, and we uh, started a site called uh, called Tested, where we kind of wanted to do a little bit of what we were doing at Maximum PC in, in terms of how we covered technology and how we reviewed things with a very uh, user first kind of um, perspective. You know, look, if you're buying a new phone and you're buying it at the time on a two year contract, then you're pretty much stuck with that phone for two years, whether it's good or bad. So we wanted to make sure that, that somebody was doing really, really top notch phone reviews. Um, and then we, we quickly realized that we wanted to expand it to things that we were interested in personally. So we started covering things like 3D printing and drones and virtual reality. Uh, and, you know, I, I had, I think, it turns out it's a pretty common uh, path with VR from my early exposure. You know, at first I saw the early Oculus prototypes and like the Rift DK2 and stuff like that. And thought, oh, man, this is going to be really neat for video games. You're going to be able to like pretend you're sitting in the cockpit of a car driving around. It's going to feel like you're really in the car. That's awesome. Then I saw the Vive in 2015 at GDC for the first time and saw how transformative having hands in that virtual reality space is. 
um, and and realized really it actually it actually took me a while to put this together too, but realized that that we were looking at not just a neat new way to play games, but actually a, another completely new mode of interaction for computing, for general purpose computing, for specialty computing, all sorts of stuff uh, that went way beyond games. And that's when I started thinking about what I could use that for and, and ended up launching, uh, kicking off Foo VR in the fall of 2015. Wow, it's been a long time. Obviously, uh, we, we got to talk a lot about Foo VR, but you know, when you started Tested, at what point Tested popped up on my YouTube? I, I guess I Googled something to do with technology and I found you and, and Norm and I thought, who are these two guys? And then I was wondering, what is Adam Savage doing here? And <laughs> would you like to tell us a little bit about how that got to happen? Yeah, so... so I mean, as often happens in startup land, with when I the reason I wanted to work with Whiskey Media and the reason we launched Tested with Whiskey Media was that that the people that were making Giant Bomb at the time in Comic Vine were doing something that was completely unique with content. They were taking good editorial content, really top-notch editorial content, really interesting videos that were produced in-house, and then pairing it with these massive user-generated wikis um, and really engaging with the community and getting the community to do really interesting work, I thought, which was, which was, you know, the, now in 2018 seems kind of old hat, but in 2008, 2009, 2010 was, was really, really early. Um, as often happens with startups that are early, we ran out of money before we reached a point where we could make, uh, make the money that we needed to cover our expenses. And, uh, we sold the company in a couple of chunks. Uh, part of it went to CBS interactive. Uh, which is where mm -hmm. Giant Bomb and Comic Vine ended up. And then the other half went to a production company in L.A. called Berman Braun, which is now Whale Rock Industries. Uh, and, and Whale Rock had a relationship with Adam and Jamie from the Mythbusters to do their post-Mythbusters, to produce post-Mythbusters post TV shows, websites, stuff like that. And I think they the Whale Rock folks bought uh, bought the the half of whiskey that they bought for the technology and then kind of... They were looking at Norm and me, and then they looked at Adam and Jamie, and they looked at Norm and me, and they looked at Adam and Jamie, and they're like, hmm, hmm, hmm. So uh, they introduced us all. We Norm and I trucked over to uh, M5 and sat down in Jamie's office and kind of were introduced to, to Adam and Jamie, and, and we had a like a two- or three-hour conversation about what – like why we started tested and and what they wanted to get out of a website and a bunch of different stuff and we realized that it was a pretty good fit wow um in terms of both like their commitment to users like the, to, treating the you know we, we, so take a step back when you're in web publishing especially you have some choices to make you can decide oh, okay the people that are coming to my site every day and reading the site are my customers that's how i i want to make money or You can say, "Oh, the advertisers, the people who are who are putting ads and putting money in our pocket, are the customers." And we're gonna, you know, inevitably, you're gonna focus on one or the other. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to make sure that the people who were their fans and our fans and the people that were coming to the site every day were the customers. And once we once we realized that we were on the same page with that, then kind of everything else came together. And it, and it turns out the stuff that Adam especially was interested in was all stuff that we were like covering peripherally already. We were going to make her fair. We'd been going to make her fair for two or three years at that point. Um, we'd been covering people who make amazing projects. And and that's what those guys like when we when we kind of pried it out of them, what it what it became clear was they wanted they were famous for blowing stuff up on TV, but both of their background was in making things. You know, they were both prop makers. They were both um, effects artists. And they wanted to showcase people who were making incredible things. 
And Norm and I were totally down to do that. And, and the technology stuff was still on the table. So we were, we were both really excited about it and kind of on board from day one. I don't know if I've ever told this story before, but the thing about Jamie's office is it has kind of all the creepy ephemera of Mythbusters that he really likes and, and the ad agency stuff. So there's like, there's some really oversized like baby heads like doll heads that are on his shelf behind him, which is just over his shoulder. And then there's a <laughs> nude, disembodied, de- like de- de-limbed torso of uh, a body from, I think, a David... Uh, uh, um, oh, God, the guy from CSI Miami. A- anyway, like on the other side of the room. So sitting right behind J- uh, Adam's shoulder as I was trying to make eye contact with him and have this con- this really serious conversation is like a naked guy's penis, like fully anatomically correct. And also the body is all gouged up because it was a knifing victim or something. Oh, so it was a it was a real weird meeting, but it, it all worked out well in the end. Yeah, I mean, I think that's very similar to how when Max and I were setting up the podcast and went to his yeah. office and he had the, all that weird stuff. Just a naked guy over his shoulder the whole time. Yeah, just yeah, exactly. And um, well, I was almost naked. I was in my caravan at the time when we had the first Skype uh, the discussion. Was <laughs> on my own, so there was no need to put on clothes. The beauty of the 21st century is that we can all work from anywhere on whatever whatever clothes we want. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. We, we were amazed even that we were speaking on Skype. While he was in Florida and I was in Germany in a caravan. Oh, yeah. That's very cool. It, it, it's it's interesting having a virtual team. Like, this is the first time I've really done that and with Foo. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge, right? Like, it, at first, you're kind of used to having everybody come into the office at 8 or 9 or 10 or whatever time you start. And then seeing everybody, you know, doing your morning talk to see where everybody is and then going on and going about your business. And it's it's been a, a big adjustment to a more freewheeling, like three time zone business, which is what I'm running right now. Sure. So so with Foo VR, I mean, you you know, I guess first of all, you know, maybe you could talk about that. Just just tell us exactly w- what it is for those that don't know. I don't think we've. Or, or maybe we could start yet. even earlier. One day in Tessa, you said, "I want to do this new thing." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's all it's funny. It's always been for me. Like every job I've quit has been the best job I've ever had up until that point, which I mean, I'm very lucky. You know, yeah. when I left ours, I I was, you know, I was reviewing video games and, and video cards and computer hardware for a living. I was like, I didn't realize that was a job you could do. When I left Maximum PC, I was in charge of, you know, what was at the time the best newsstand selling computer magazine in the United States. Um, and, and like we had this fanatical readership that, that really loved us. Uh, when I left tested, it was the same situation. I was getting to go and like, we went to the large Hadron Collider. They just got back from New Zealand where they were hanging out with people from Weta and all sorts of other stuff at, at tested. And like passing that up is, is hard. You know, you have to, you have to be willing, but, but the thing that I learned along the way is you have to be willing to walk away from something that's awesome. If you want to make the next, the next best thing for you. And, and, and why, why VR? Why this? So, From all the cool technology, what is it that fascinates you about this? So, you know, one of the things that the benefit of age, the perspective that age gives you is that I was able to watch for 20 years. Um, you know, I watched 3D acceleration happen. I watched Windows happen, really, because, you know, I started I started doing this as Windows 98 was kind of taking off and the PC was starting to come into everybody's homes as a, as a tool rather than just a novelty you know, the internet was a was a, a powerful force. And I, I watched, I reported on that. I, I sat on the sidelines and wrote stories. Um, the, the same thing happened with mobile in 2007 when the iPhone came on the scene. And I watched all of these things happen as, as you know, a, a guide for the uninitiated, which is great. But this time I had an idea and I, I 
well, like one of the frustrations for me at Tested was that I really love games and I love people who make kind of ephemeral digital art. And, you know, it's easy for Norm and I to go to, you know, a Central California or uh, Orange Orchard where uh, Mike McMasters makes Wally robots and R2-D2s. And like we can see the output of that 3D art where they've done all the 3D modeling to create these these, you know, animatronic uh, Wally robots. But like you can't do that. I couldn't do that with a video game. You know, I can stand in front of a Wally robot and point at the bits and pieces and, and we can talk about how he makes it. But if I wanted to do the same thing with, say, Firewatch or Gone Home or Call of Duty, I you can't do that because there's really nothing more boring in the world than watching somebody stand in front of a computer monitor on video and point at the screen and talk about, mm -hmm. you know, stuff from a computer. Because um, they're probably so in an office and nobody mm -hmm. likes offices. Yeah, you're like you're standing in a cube. There's four people around. It's fluorescent lighting. It's the least exciting video in the world. Um, so I realized with VR we can do that, right? I realized we can we can we can take the viewer, we can take the interviewee, we can take the interviewer, and put them in a virtual world where those you know intangible assets in the real world are suddenly our brains think that they're real and we can handle them, we can touch them, we can look at them. So we did that. We threw together kind of proof of concept um, in starting in November of 2015 and working uh, really intensely around the clock until uh, the headsets launched in April of 2016. And uh, yeah, we launched a kind of, hey, does anybody think this is cool version of the Foo Show in 2016? And then uh, people thought it was really, really interesting. Like we, I, we weren't sure there was a business there, but we figured it was worth taking a run at and seeing. And uh, what we built with Foo is a way to record uh, 2D or VR content on a virtual soundstage. You know, so it works just like you would in a soundstage in LA or Burbank or wherever. Uh, but instead of, you know, being in this big physical room, we're in a big virtual room and then we can place the actors and the sets and all that stuff virtually to create 2D or 3D content however we want. Uh, it's really amazing. So a lot of the time it's actually the the games that the people have designed. Is, is that is that correct? A correct statement? So that... that so that's what we do with the Foo Show. The the Foo Show is a is a show about going into video games with designers or other 3D assets. The episode that we're wrapping up right now, even as we speak, is about a um, uh, uh, biomolecular chemist who makes nanomachines out of DNA. So we start there in his lab in a virtual recreation of his lab and then kind of powers of 10 our way down through some of his equipment into a, a microscopic scale all the way down until we finish the episode standing between the lipid layers of an E. of an E. coli cell. Uh, wow. And, and we're we see how this phage virus uh, makes turns strands of DNA into uh, 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 sorry, turns chunks of DNA into strands of DNA. It's very cool. So as a viewer, I'll be in my living room with a mm -hmm. VR goggle on. I'll be in the same room with you and your mm -hmm. guest and see the same things that you see. But I don't really see you. I see an avatar of yours that's mm -hmm. animated by a computer that makes the avatar move like you moved in your room at your home. So yeah, so yeah what, one of the things that we realized early is that it's better to do believable animation than accurate animation when you're talking about, you know, trying to animate a human body, which has, you know, millions of articulate points of articulation, not millions, yeah. but dozens of points of articulation. If you count the spine and the wrist and the fingers and all that stuff, it's better to fake it believably than to try to be a hundred percent accurate. Um, and, and it's funny as VR has progressed. Now we can actually 
be much more accurate than we could be in the beginning because we can actually track more points of data. We can track, you know, now we, we use Vive track. So we use the Vive. Uh, we started out by, by animating the avatars using three points of data. So the head and the two hands. Uh, and then we used machine learning and IK and a bunch of other jargon that we don't really need to get into um to to animate the rest of the body with real mixed results i mean it wasn't it was sometimes great sometimes hilarious sometimes terrible sometimes all three at the same time because it um, doesn't know what your feet are doing right no we have to guess based on center of gravity and and like i said we we ended up uh the best success we had using the the just three points of data was actually using a beam algorithm to kind of that we trained using actual data by taping Vive controllers to our legs and arms and then moving through the normal range of movement that you can do as a human being. Uh, and and that actually produced a really believable, if occasionally hilariously janky, uh, animation of a 2D person, a 3D person. Uh, now we can do much better using the Vive trackers because we can track feet and, and hips and chest and we can do things like lay down and sit and stuff like that. So it's a much better process now. Very interesting. So, I mean, if I wanted to watch Foo, Foo VR and I didn't have a headset, I just had a regular computer, what, what would I do exactly? Would I, I I assume there's a website. Is that is that correct? Well, so so it's on Steam. So uh, with the with the Nano Machines episode, we're moving a 2D client that's been in beta for a while. And you can fly around just like you would in a video game. So you can watch on your 2D monitor without a VR headset using a gamepad to kind of control the camera. And you can fly around, you can interact with objects, you can pick them up and spin them around just like you can in VR using your hands. It's a little bit uh, more awkward than, you know, the the more natural uh, 3D interface. Um, but it, it works really well. And uh, we're quite pleased with how, it, how it's turned out. Oh, very, that's really cool. And, and then we also do other things. We do a lot of custom work for, for external parties. The, the interesting thing about this tool that we've built is it lets us do things like live animation uh, incredibly. It lets us open up animations to new format formats of TV. So last fall, we had a call-in show on Adult Swim. I, I thought this is the GameStop uh, mm -hmm. gig that you had. Oh, so we, yeah, we did a series of commercials for GameStop. Um, we, uh, where we injected a couple of performers into scenes from games like Destiny 2, NBA 2K18, and uh, uh, Shadows of, uh, let's see, Lord of the Rings Shadows of War, the sequel to, to uh, Shadows of Mordor. Um, we also did a TV show, like a weekly TV show on Adult Swim, where we took Carl uh, from Aqua Teen Hunger Force and gave him an NFL call-in show like you'd see on ESPN. He he took calls from viewers and from experts and interviewed them and talked about what was happening in the NFL every week uh, throughout the fall. Oh, that, that's amazing. I'm a... I could say I'm a big fan of that show, but I, I should say I, I watched it a long time ago. I, I really liked it. So yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I have to check that out. I guess you can see reruns of that somewhere, right? Yeah, so it's all available on adultswim.com, I think. You can go all the way back through the whole run. It, it may or may not make sense if you're not following along the NFL season. It's it's um, I, I think the first... Well, I don't know. The first three or four episodes were almost entirely about Colin Kaepernick and uh, and uh, whether or not kneeling was okay. And Carl, uh, you know, he's not the most most uh, modern woke man, but I I thought he had an interesting kind of take on on a lot of the politics of the fall. And I don't know how political you are. I mean, I can, we can we can go on. I, oh, look, I'm, I'm a middle aged white guy. I have lots of opinions about I'm... everything. <laughs> We've got a name for these people in Germany. They're called Anger Citizens. 
<laughs> oh, that sounds good. What is is the German name like a smashed up of two of of the word for anger and citizens? Uh, yeah, Wutbürger, because oh. they're citizens. They want to highlight that you know they they've got a voice and they uh -huh. can voice an opinion and. They're also very angry about everything. Yes, we have a lot of that here in America right now. It's not great. I, I follow the politics a lot in America, but they're also more exciting than the German ones because not, no, nothing happens no, here. I, I mean, I, it, let's be clear. If I lived in Germany right now, I would probably find them much more exciting. Here, it's just a constant mix of rage and terror. So well, Anyway, well, um, I guess we should get back to VR a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we should if we want some advertisement in the future. Yeah. So what else What else drew you to VR? I mean, you kind of gave us a little bit of it, but is there anything else that kind of uh, sparked your interest in it? Yeah, I mean, the the big thing for me, the thing that took me a while to kind of understand and took a lot of me, you know, thinking in the shower, frankly, is that the, the 3D interface, you know, when you're in VR, you're using your hands to pick things up. It's the most native computer interface I've ever used for my brain, right? Like my brain... Yes. I was interacting with the computer in the same way that my brain interacts, that I interact with the real world every day. So if I wanted to pick something up, I could reach out and grab it with my hand. And and that gives you access to more verbs, right? If In a video game design context, verbs are the things that the player can do. So the actions the player can take. So you know, in Call of Duty, it's running, it's jumping, it's shooting, it's reloading. And all of those things map easily to gamepad buttons or mouse and keyboard buttons. Um, with with VR and the ability suddenly to pick things up that the Vive gave you, you could you could grab things, you could throw them, and the the easiest way to illustrate it on the radio, where uh, I can't wave my hands around like a maniac, is uh, is if you think about how you use a sword in a in a video game that uses a gamepad versus using a sword in a VR game where you can control your the the orientation of your hand. You know, in, in a video game, you press the X button to to swing the sword. And if the player that you're swinging at is inside the radius of attack for that and you're aimed in the right direction, then some simple math happens and you either hit the player or you don't. When you're in VR, you're holding the sword. You can hold it with your right or your left hand. You can hold it horizontally. You can hold it vertically. You can hold it so that the point is aimed at the other person. You can use it to block. You can use it to deflect things. Uh, you can set it on the ground. You can stab it into the ground. You know, whatever it is, whatever the game developer came up with, all of those options are theoretically available to you. And it makes um, both game design and just kind of user interface, user experience design a lot more both complicated and very rewarding. So I was really excited about that. It was like, and, and it, it's like, how often do you get a chance at a blank slate on a completely new user interface for computing? I mean, it happened with mobile in the, in the 2007, 2008, 2010. Um, and it's still, we're still figuring it out in VR right now. But did you have partners straight away that could help you with all the technological uh, challenges that you were facing? So I live in a right-to-work state, and my contract with my previous employers prohibited me from starting anything new while I was still uh, under their employ. So no, when I posted the, hey, I'm quitting my job at Tested, that's the best job I've ever had, uh, Medium post in 2015, I didn't have anybody else working for me yet. Uh, I had talked to some people, I had some advisors, I had some mentors, um, but I didn't have a lead dev, I didn't have a lead artist, I didn't really have a solid idea of what the product was. And uh, it wasn't until I found Andre Infante, who's my lead dev, and Sindra Scar, who's my uh, lead artist, uh, that, that kind of it all started to come together really well. Because that must be the biggest unknown, right? Because uh, you're not really a programmer. Obviously, you know about technology, but it's not that you can just sit down and program something like this, right? No, I'm I'm dangerously incompetent on, on stuff like that. So yeah, I... I um, 
uh, let's see, I have submitted, I think, three things to our Git repository. Most of them were were comments or notes, and one of them was an audio file. Um, I don't, I'm not allowed to do that anymore because the risk of me messing up Git is is very, very high. Um, <laughs> the uh, the thing that, like, it, it was interesting. So I posted that this, this popped up on the R Oculus or R Vive Reddit, and I was reading the comments on that, and they're like, oh, you know, it, it was it was a really... Uh, it was really actually heartwarming to see the kind of Reddit communities for VR coming out and saying, hey, I'm really excited that Will's going to do this, blah, 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 or, you know, alternately the occasional Diana Fire will. Um, but d- way down at the bottom of that thread was a post by a guy who was like, hey, I, you know, I can kind of read behind the line, between the lines of what you're saying you want to do. And this thing that I was working on kind of for fun may be relevant to you. And I reached out to all the people in those threads that had, you know, written something. I wrote, I wrote back to most of the people who emailed me, and uh, Andre sent over a demo reel of the stuff that he'd put together using a Razer Hydra, and I was like, oh, yep, nope, this is the guy. Um, so we started talking, we got along well, uh, and we've been working together ever since. He's he's really good at at taking my um, fairly specific, maybe overly specific um ideas and turning them into uh product so how, how many people are on your team now so right now we have three full-time people and then a handful of contractors that kind of come in and out as the jobs require more more brain, uh, manpower okay now I'd, this might be a little silly but do you ever um conduct your meetings in vr that'd be pretty cool yeah pretty cool. Uh, it's, oh, it's, you do. it's funny you say okay. that that was the first so the scary part there have been there have been multiple scare, really scary moments that happened along the way here. Uh, one is, of course, quitting your job to start a company with no team and and only a vague idea of what the product is. Um, the other was actually that first interview. And I, I knew, so I knew that we, like, one of the things that we realized really early on is that body language comes through really well in the in the world that we've built. So, like, you know, when you're using Skype, you don't, you kind of miss a lot of the subtle body body language cues that most people have in conversation. So, you know, if you if you want to interrupt somebody, then you sometimes put your hand out or you point a finger at something or you kind of make a hand gesture that that signals to the other person subconsciously, hey, he has something to say. I should I should be quiet now for a sec. Or um, when you shrug, when you kind of tilt your head to the side, a lot of that stuff gets lost on video conferencing, but it comes through in VR. And we'd been doing our stand-up meetings uh, by the time we recorded the Firewatch episode for four four months, five months almost. Um, it was the only way I like I didn't I didn't know I I I only knew Andre from VR for a year uh, more or less. And when I met him in person, his body language came through flawlessly. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, my brain knows you, even though I've never actually seen what you look like in person. Um, the uh, the interesting thing is that I kind of never paid attention to how long it takes people to adjust to that. So when we sat down to record with the Campo Santo guys, the Firewatch episode, I wasn't sure if it was like a three or four minute onboarding process or if it was going to take them the entirety of the time we had to kind of get vr legs and if i could if i could like i didn't know if the medium gave me enough information to actually do an interview with someone and uh there wasn't really a way to test that beforehand so we just kind of went in and i was sitting there as i was putting the heads on i was like man i hope this thing that i spent the last six months on and a ton of money actually works that that would be really good luckily it did um and the interview worked really well and 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 the interesting side effect of how well it works is that when you're wearing the headset and you're in the space with me and whoever I'm interviewing, 
you really feel like you're there. You feel like a fly on the wall to the point that like the avatars make eye contact with you if you get into their field of view and, and, and stuff like that. Oh, so if, if you would do this live, you, <laughs> couldn't, you, you wouldn't enable all your viewers, right? Because then you had a huge crowd in front of you. We um, there are a bunch of different ways to do that. Um, I think the way that AltSpace does it or did it works really well, where uh, most people in that world are ghosts. So you you're in the live recording, you see what's happening live, but you can't interact in a meaningful way with the with the people who are the subjects, um, unless you you know get flagged to answer a question or something like that ask a question or something like that that's really cool that's it's a whole new medium you know it getting it's, people it's, together to discuss stuff that it, aren't really in the same room it's very much a new a new way to kind of interact um it, it's it's funny it's much closer to say interactive theater or something like sleep no more or um like going to a live taping of a game show or a talk show or something like that than than say you know, watching a show on TV, it's even at its least interactive, it's much more engaging than, uh, than, you know, watching a non-interactive video on your phone or on your TV or something. That's like that. why it's called virtual reality. Well, <laughs> and, and you know, the, the, the side, the other side of that is that, you know, if you're going to take over people's two favorite senses and their sight and their hearing entirely, you have to really work to engage them. Like that's, that's on you, the VR content creator, to make something that's compelling and interesting enough that people will leave the headset on for the 20 minutes of 30 minutes of the show and not, you know, slide it up in their forehead to check their phone or, or look at Twitter or Facebook or whatever. So with the with the VR environment, you can see, you know, everywhere in this studio, correct? It's not not just you and the person you're interviewing. Is that, is that that's a fair, fair statement, correct? Um, I don't, I don't know that I understand the question. Actually, well, I, I guess Jeremy. I guess what I'm thinking is, you know, I'm looking at you interviewing the, the person. You ever put like a you know Easter egg in the side? I mean, maybe you wouldn't want to tell me that, but you know, if what if there's like a little TV or something in the side that you know, if, if you're like, well, I'll look over and see what's going on, and you know what I'm saying? Or oh, maybe uh, a, how how detailed is the virtual recording studio? So, um, it's interesting you ask that. So we have, um, we have definitely built stuff that's only visible to the host or the or the person being interviewed. For example. Um, I have uh, cue cards that I can stack questions on so that I have, you know, because it's helpful to have prompts when you're in the headset. And if I if I take the headset off midway through an interview, then my avatar gets really weird looking and crumples up onto the floor. <laughs> so um, we built in engine tools for cue cards and teleprompters wow. and sending notes from the production team and stuff like that. Um, let's cool. see, we've built uh, we built a really fully featured drone style. Well, I mean, there's multiple models for the camera, but for the for the Adult Swim show, they needed uh, real camera models. So we have like a dolly camera. We have a boom camera. We have a drone camera that you can kind of just fly around wherever you want. <laughs> um, it's funny because we thought about actually just building we, like there's no reason we couldn't put a Vive tracker on like a shoulder mounted camera rig and also just have a, a camera person walking around the virtual set with a virtual <laughs> camera that behaves exactly like a shoulder mounted camera would. Um, we haven't done that yet, but I, I think we'll, I kind of want to just because it seems like it'd be really silly and give a lot of opportunity. It, it sounds silly. Yes. Stuff. It sounds very silly. I mean, yeah. I mean, it sounds like a good user interface to me, but uh, you know, maybe I'm, I guess I'm in the minority here. So I don't well, know. But, but I mean, it, that was the thing we got to is that it was much easier to to mimic a drone interface for the cameras. We, we, we started having to figure this out when we did the first pilot for Adult Swim last January. Um, and and 
like it was much easier to just build a drone camera, an interface that mimicked the drone camera, than try to create a new interface from scratch that's that's bespoke for this this VR thing. Because there's a million drone camera operators in the world, and that there would only be the person that we trained to run this weird, you know, VR camera interface. <laughs> so you know, you can. And the nice thing is, the RC controls for a drone camera basically are easily mapped to an Xbox 360 or PlayStation controller or whatever gamepad you want to use. So, so do you see, I mean, besides Adult Swim, obviously, you've, you've kind of done that, but do you see other people trying to license your technology in the future, or have you have you been contacted about that? So, yeah, we've done a bunch of, we did a lot of, of custom projects last year. One of the reasons we're, we're slow delivering new episodes of the Foo Show is that uh, we sell literally hundreds of copies of those episodes, aside from what we had in Kickstarter backers. Uh, when we post them on Steam, so they're not like massive revenue generators, and they won't they won't support us in and of themselves. Um, but we did a bunch of pilots last year for different studios, and have a pretty deep pipeline of work for 2018 stacked up right now. Anything you want to um, want to preview to us or announce would, what we should be looking forward to this year? I would love to, but um, I am unfortunately not uh, authorized to release that information. Uh, it's, it's, they are not my projects to announce. So, sure. um, but we will talk about them on. Uh, I talk about them on Twitter when when they if and when they reach a point that we can talk about them. Uh, so people can follow me at Will Smith on Twitter, and I'm happy to uh, share that stuff as it comes up. Very good. I heard a rumor you were doing a uh, remake of Lawnmower Man. Is that is that correct? <laughs> I, you know, I love Lawnmower Man, but probably I love Lawnmower Man because I don't think I've seen it since it came out in 1991. Um, it's I, very like, if I were remaking anything, it would be Hackers because I think Hackers is an underappreciated classic, uh, but... Uh, unfortunately, I think the rights for that are a little bit outside my uh, price range right now. Yeah, I, I don't know that I've ever actually seen it. I just remember hearing about how, uh, you know, how it's such a it was such a realistic view of uh, virtual reality, right? Is that is that correct? Yeah. So I want to say Lawnmower Man is kind of like Flowers for Al Algernon meets The Matrix, because um, there's VR and they use it to to make a. Yeah, I, I, it's a it's a it's an odd it's an odd film. I don't know like. It's and it also it has the benefit of really really terrible mid '90s CG um, that may or may not have been hand drawn. Like I don't know if it's hand drawn animation or if they actually did CG, but it's it's pretty rough. That's yeah. what I'm always amazed about. How did these movies in the '90s do their special effects? Oh, it's like it's difficult enough for my computer to render just a standard video. And they do the stuff like they did in Speed, where they jump with the bus over the gap of the highway, the closed-off highway. Oh, over the gap? Mm -hmm. Yeah, over the gap. I'm like, how did they make this? They just digitally removed the, the ground, right? Yeah, but I, what software do you even use? Was Photoshop out back then? Oh, I'm sure they did it individually by hand. Yeah, like each frame by hand. Um, the, the one I like to think about is Jurassic Park, because they did that, uh, you know, ILM did that in 1990. I mean, that movie came out in the summer of 93, so that means it would have been post-production work would have been going for two years beforehand probably on the dinosaurs and i mean that cg has held up incredibly well uh, even 20 years later yeah that was that was an amazing movie I, it's um i mean well i mean that being said where, where do you see vr going i mean it's do you think do you think in 20 years we'll be using vr headsets exclusively or do you think they'll, they'll still be movies as as we see them today oh i i mean look as with anything you use the right tool for the project that you're working on, right? So if you are, the, the places that I think VR is going to make the fastest impact is in anything that requires 3D content creation. Um, so if you look at, um, if you look at what people 
are doing with tools, even the rudimentary tools like Tiltbrush and Medium and and Google's Blocks, um, having having a three D creation interface that doesn't require the four pane CAD interface that we're all familiar with, you know, where you look at the X Y Y Z X X Y X Z Y Z and then the the preview, um, and trying to convert that in your brain into a 3d object that you can manipulate using those panes. And then, you know, it's, it's it requires mental gymnastics that most people are bad at. It's just funny. I, I do remember, you know, I, I worked as a mechanical engineer for quite some, some time. And I remember, you know, talking to my boss is like, yeah, you know, this does this, this is this trying to illustrate to this to somebody. She's like, well, you know, in these presentations, some people can't see that in 3d and it, it just kind of blew my mind cause I was so used to it. But I guess, I, I guess you're right. Absolutely right. With, um, you know, a lot of people until you're, you're really used to, drawing something out on a CAD system, it's not how we're wired to, to think, I guess. Is that well, kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, that that's exactly it. Like, I am I can use SketchUp or, or, you know, Rhino or CAD or AutoCAD, whatever, to do straight edge stuff. But if you want me to do some soft edge, if you want me to make a monster mask, I can do that with clay all day long. Mm-hmm. But if I have to do it in a in a computer interface, I'm it's going to be torture because I can't. Super difficult. Yeah, it's it's really really hard. It's why those people who do that get paid so much money and are so good at their jobs, is because it's a it's a really hard skill, um, and and VR removes makes that much more accessible even today, because you can you you can build your thing, you can rough it out in Medium and then export an STL into into whatever your you know ZBrush or whatever your 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 modeling program of choice is, and I, I think we'll see more stuff like that before we see anything else, and and then. You know, if the pixel density on the headsets gets high enough to do desktop type work with text and, and things like that, then then even that will continue to, you know, we'll see people using, you know, the, the your typical Steam uh, cyberpunk VR computer interfaces for Windows and stuff like that, maybe at some point. But before that, we'll see VR ZBrush and 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 things like that. Uh, my, my favorite example of that thing you mentioned, Jeremy, is that I have a friend who's a, a furniture designer for a big retail chain in the U.S. And she does most of her work on sketch. Like she does sketches and then she she hands off the sketches to the engineers and the engineers build the furniture. And then she goes back and works with them to refine it into what she wants. And when I showed her tilt brush the first time, she just went completely bonkers. Like she spent an hour <laughs> and a half drawing a two rooms worth of furniture because she's like look i can make 3d versions of these things that have been in my head that i've never been able to show people before or i've had to draw you know you you do a bunch of 2d sketches and then hope that the translation from 2d object to 3d object works the way that you want it so it's incredibly freeing um and and i think i mean that's that's where the early promise of vr is Hmm, i think that's that's awesome. Yeah, I guess I always envisioned it as a more of a entertainment medium, but you see, it, you see it more as a tool for creation. As before, I mean, I think until that. the cost. Oh, uh, I think until the cost of access comes down to the point that you know you can you can buy a headset for a couple hundred bucks that's a standalone device. I think I think we'll see pro use more, um, and then the consumer stuff will follow. I mean, we're we're Oculus has their Go uh, standalone 3DOF. Um, hardware coming out this year. Uh, we're going to see some more standalone hardware later this year, or early next, I think. And and um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think we'll know more what the consumer market looks like in two years. I'm I'm spending a lot of time on uh, caravanning exhibitions, which I okay. don't really uh, like doing. And uh, some 
some uh, exhibitions they had uh, VR headsets so you could stand inside a caravan and see it, which was a bit pointless because you can just go into the real caravan that's right next to it. But uh, nonetheless, if you put on that headset, you really think you are in that caravan. And I think that's really going to inspire all the other vendors to do the same thing for next year. So I'm I'm going to see if there will be much, many more VR headsets around because I've counted maybe four or five. Mm-hmm. And there was always a line and people were fascinated, absolutely well, uh, fascinated. One of the things that I had pitched last year that I can talk about is is a um, is a, uh, a med tech company. So a company that makes laboratory diagnostic machines. You can put a sample in, it does some crazy biochemistry stuff on it, and then it spits out a result like 45 minutes later or two days later or whatever. And, you know, the power of VR is that we can show things that are either intangible in the real world or that we need to accelerate time in a way that they they don't work. So instead of schlepping a bunch of million dollar machines to trade shows around the country and world, we had talked about building VR versions of these devices that we could you know start out, show them how the control panel works, show them all the stuff that the people are going to need to know to operate the machine, but mm-hmm. then also shrink them down inside the machine and let them see what's happening inside all the way down to the biomolecular level. Um, and, and I think, I mean, I think that's the kind of stuff that we'll see in the kind of second wave of, of VR. And people can actually use the machines without destroying yeah. them. If yeah, here in Germany exactly. we sell a lot of uh, you know lathes and uh, CNC machines and stuff like that, you can't <laughs> let somebody operate your CNC <laughs> at the booth. But in VR, you can just let them press buttons as long yeah. as they want. Well, listen, well, we've asked you all about VR and the stuff that's you know kind of in your realm. But you know, I feel like Max and I we, we play with tools a lot. I'm sure you do too. So what is what is your favorite tool? We we need to know. Um, well, okay. So, so this is this is there's multiple multiple facets to this uh, question, I guess. The um, you sound uh, like Adam I'm Savage. Not, <laughs> hmm? <Yeah. laughs> well, I'm not the I'm not the technical. Yeah, I'm not a technical founder. I'm not the the person out writing code. So I'm not going to give you like a, a IDE or anything like that. Um, we like Slack is a thing that without without Slack, I wouldn't have a business right now. Right? Like we. We use Slack, my lead devs in New Mexico, my artists in Norway, and Slack lets us communicate, and our freelancers are all over the world. You know, Slack lets us communicate across time zones and share files and and all the things that would have been nightmare, a thousand long email threads just live in their own little room in, in Slack, and, and it's it's an incredibly powerful tool. The, my favorite real-world tool I have a, a tested fan years ago made this amazing wooden mallet that's like a 10-pound mallet. I'm going to reach over and grab it. It's a, he, he said, this is what I use for a convincer, and it's like it's like three pieces of wood that are joined together really beautifully. Um, and it is my all-time favorite hammer. Like, I have a bunch of hammers, but this one, this one's, and it's it's actually not a 10-pound, it's probably about a 4-pound, but it's, uh yeah, it's great. You can use it to whack, and since it's made of wood, you can whack on wood with it. This is as long as the wood is softer than it or harder than it and and you don't like damage the the face of your of your whatever you're hitting with it, which is which is great. So uh, and then like my phone, I, I don't know. I I've, I like I it counts. the phone gives me the freedom to both work <laughs> horribly like all the time in a way that's really unhealthy, but also to go and do awesome stuff and like hang out with my kid during the day when I don't have a busy day and like not worry that I'm going to miss something important or that somebody else is going to be waiting for me. So um, I am very much a fan. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how, you know, you go back to that hammer. It's amazing how something so simple as that, if it's really well made can be, can be just amazing. It's, I don't know. 
kind of neat, neat well and, it, and it's hammers, not hammers are nice and, and they've got a history you know it's they've had him for ten thousands of years i mean what well, we, like we turned it's a like rock D2. into a hammer right yeah exactly yeah it's d2 exactly that's true i mean they don't say if if all you have is a wrench everything looks like a bolt you know <laughs> everything looks like a bolt head <laughs> um well and the thing about the wooden one specifically is that it's it's I mean, it's this gorgeous thing. It's pretty dinged up because I use it a lot. But because it's like, I would never buy a wooden mallet like this. And because somebody sent me this thing, I've like, oh, this is an incredibly useful tool. So anyway. Good answer. Good enough. Yeah, very good. Good answer. Yeah. We, we appreciate a good hammer. <laughs> <laughs> so that leads us to our last section, which is um, progress. So this is where we talk about what we've been doing this week. Uh, some uh, viewers or uh, listeners might not know, uh, Jeremy and I, we actually are makers. We make uh, YouTube videos of um, building stuff. Uh, we build projects. So this is oh, normally cool. a chance where we talk about what we've been doing this week, um, what progress we have made or whatnot, because sometimes things go wrong. So Will, what have you been doing this week? <laughs> um, so this week is we're coming up on tax season now in the United States. So I have oh. spent the last five days... <laughs> going through every expenditure from 2017 that I didn't codify in QuickBooks. And I'm coding all of my spending for 2017, which is both incredibly depressing and really, really boring. And it I'll be honest, it makes me really regret getting a 10 keyless mechanical keyboard because I don't have a numpad, uh, which it turns out would be really <laughs> useful. So I'm probably going to order a numpad from Amazon as soon as we get off the phone here. That might be my answer next time I talk to you guys. I, are you using an iMac? No, I'm a I'm a VR. I'm a Windows guy. So um, ah, okay, yeah, okay, you got it. You got it. There's no there's no Mac or li really even Linux development for for VR uh, at least because yeah. I have the numpad and I really don't like it. Because my mouse is too far away now. It's too wide for me. I need to change it. Well, so I bought a, a Logitech mechanical 10 keyless keyboard when my last one conked out. And I love it because the mouse is really close. But yeah, when I, need the, when I need to type numbers, there's nothing more terrible than typing a whole bunch of numbers on that top row of keys where it takes forever to type each one. So <laughs> uh, that is my incredibly boring answer. I also flew kites with my daughter at about 7 o'clock oh, yesterday that's morning, nice. so that was very exciting. Flying kites is one of the little joys in life, you know? Look, if you haven't flown a kite recently, you should go out and fly a kite. It's highly recommended. Yeah, it it's great. It it really is. It's true. I haven't haven't done that in a while. So well, and you've got kids, so yeah, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're just old enough to uh, start flying them, I guess. So I, I can. Yeah, well, that's that. the thing with kids. You buy them uh, toys that they're not ready for yet. Yeah, I mean, yeah. my my, my oh. son's my son's four years old, so I assume he's ready for a PlayStation Four, right? Is that the consensus with you guys? Uh, let's see, my. So my daughter just beat Mario Odyssey a few weeks ago. Um, I, I would say, yeah, like it'll be frustrating at first, and then she'll <laughs> then he'll he'll ramp up to it and and get excited about it. The fiber is right. not holding up. Sorry, guys. <laughs> That's all right. So, Jeremy, what have you been up to? I guess one thing that I did, I, I bought this uh, Strand Beast kit from a, a while ago. I was like, I should probably put it together since I made like five of these on my own. I should probably actually try the kit, and I put it together. You know, it took me about an hour and. I was really impressed with how well it was built for, you know, for mass manufacturing and just like, I don't want to say normal people, but just like somebody, somebody could put it together, you know, for something that cost, you know, like $5 on eBay. It was just a pretty, pretty amazing design. So it was. Oh, wow. That was Did it work? To build. Yeah, it worked, worked really well. I had the, the fan on it and stuff. And so I, um, anyway, I, t I took video of it. So hopefully it'll be interesting at, at the end. I have it kind of crash off the end of my bench table and, uh. 
Should should be a fun should be a fun little episode, I guess. Should take it to the beach, you know. That's his natural habitat. <laughs> yeah, just I could just like leave it there or have it have it walk down the causeway or something. Yeah, I, I wonder how this guy that builds the real strand bees uh, transports them because they don't look like you could just put them on a on a lorry or something and uh, ship them away. I don't know. You know, maybe he maybe he lives there. I mean, it it seems like where he tests them out isn't isn't like a um isn't like Miami or something. It's like somewhere that you know a rural beach if there is such a thing, thing i guess you know yeah, yeah that's true i think it's is it holland who knows i think it's dutch so yeah i guess that's holland right dutch oh yeah we call holland it's the netherlands the the Nether- you're right <laughs> the netherlands <laughs> anyway yeah so uh so max what what have you been working on this week oh i've been editing a lot uh, the upcoming video of the uh, hydrofoil the electric hydrofoil i'm building so it's a surfboard with a 7000 watt motor and a wing underneath so you're flying through the water or above the water it's a mix of surfing and flying i guess and yeah i just built a board um, and now i'm editing the video for that so it's all the fiberglassing and cnc cutting of the foam and that's going to be out very soon so stay very tuned cool. for that so, and some, you, Jeremy? Well, I, I wanted to ask you first, did, was there any 3D printing in your uh, your build? Uh, there was, yeah. I had to push down some fiberglass. Uh, it, it wouldn't stay down in this cavity. So since I had a 3D model, I printed some some molds almost that I could press into that cavity so the fiberglass would stick to the foam. So, okay. yeah, that's a really good use for the 3D printer. Well, only reason I asked, I had to the reason I asked that in this case is, Max revealed last week that he, or a couple of weeks ago, that he films his entire 3D print in 4K and then <laughs> cuts it down to like two seconds. Is, is that is that correct? I did do it this time, no. <laughs> yeah, L- Laura Kampf told me uh, it's a bad idea, so I, I thought may- maybe she knows one or two things about video editing. <laughs> yeah, well, you, your videos always come out quite nicely. Um, but, yeah, you know. it just takes a long time. <laughs> takes a long time. Max, can I yeah, ask sure. you a question about your project? So, are you familiar with the air chair? Oh yeah, uh, it's a yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's a hydrofoil sit-on board from the '90s. All I heard is very dangerous. Of mine. <laughs> you could hurt yourself, but it, like, it, so we. I had friends who had one when I was in high school, and and became pretty proficient on it. But you were always riding right on the edge of control and and incredible painful impacts with the water with that thing. Um, I, I like I'm. Have you have you tried you have you ever tried one? Nope. <laughs> and so, how are you? So the biggest challenge with that thing is keeping the foil all the way in the water, right? Like you're you're fine coming up and going down, but the moment the foil would skip on the surface of the water, you were at instant risk of catching that front edge and just like doing a 90 degree rotation in a split second mm-hmm. that's which was where you would hurt yourself yeah <laughs> um I, I guess with the hydrofoil that i'm building uh, there's a motor above the wing so first the motor will get out of the water and hopefully it will slow me down but yeah lots of people um in the community we've got this great forum uh, efoil.builders and people share their tips and tricks on how to build a hydrofoil because it's a new thing and they all said uh, it's pretty dangerous and they hope they never crash and collide with the wing because it's very sharp and the mast is very sharp so i'm I'm a bit frightened so the air chair it had foot straps and you kind of buckled into the this seat post seat thing yeah um it it was really 
it, like it like I I grew up wakeboard. I was a wakeboarder when wakeboards were fiberglass things that were like surfboards with straps, and like it was it was really the air chair was really really fun, but it always it always felt a little more dangerous than anything else we did. Um, so I, I can't wait to see your video on this. Which is surprising because you're strapped to it, so you can't really hit the air chair with your own body. So, so it wasn't about hitting the air chair. It was the way it whipped you around on impact. Like you would get whiplash yeah. from, from hitting the water. Because like when, when I say you would go from being vertical to horizontal in a fraction of in a split second, I really mean like, like incredibly, incredibly fast. Whatever the speed of the boat is turned into angular velocity was was i mean the nice thing about it was you only had to go about 15 miles an hour so you you weren't hitting that that hard but um but yeah it was it was a really fun weird thing you could really really fly like really really sore with that and and some of the kids would eventually end up doing like flips and helicopters and stuff on it which seemed really scary oh yeah I, I guess we have the advantage that we're not strapped to the board so if we fall we can fall off but if you fall in front of the board uh, the board will be really light but still have speed so it gets a lot of lift so it actually lifts the wing out of the water and then hit Oof. you with the wing instead of the What's board the, um, what, is it like a jet is it like a, a an impeller motor or is it a um no it's a prop it's a propeller i'm building a propeller so i'm building uh, jets um but the propeller has a duct around it so you can't get your fingers or your feet okay. in it that's good well, I, I can't wait to see this video, Max. Yeah, and I'm going to wear full protective wear. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was going to say, are you going to wear like <laughs> Me full wetsuit I, and the whole thing? Yeah, full wetsuit, doesn't matter how warm it is, uh, and a helmet and a vest and uh, gloves and uh, shoes, everything. Wh whatever I can get, I, I'll wear it. Because <laughs> uh, I'm pretty frightened. Like, these edges of the mask is so sharp, it's almost like, like a knife. I wouldn't think that they'd have to be that that sharp. The ones on the chair were just basically sheet metal that were... They weren't sharpened. They were just they were just flat, and that was enough. Like it, it, it wasn't. You weren't bernoullying really, other than using the angle of attack on the blade, as I recall. Yeah, but you're being pulled by a boat with gasoline, and uh, we are. We just have lithium-ion batteries, and that tiny motor with seven thousand watts, which is a lot, but it, we really have to fight for efficiency here. Mm, that's interesting. I yeah, I, I I'm mm. fascinated by this. I can't. You have to share the video with me when you when you when you post it. I can't wait to see it in action. Oh, I will. I will. And I invite Norm to come over and um, <laughs> try it out because I've seen he posted a video last week where he rode a tiny oh, boat. The, the, those I'm so jealous of those tiny boats. I want to. I want to build one. I. I didn't like the fact that they use zip ties on those things to cinch the to do the curving of the wood is amazing to me i think that, that that was really cool yeah and you know that was my inspiration to do this hydrofoil i guess ultimately because there's this uh, company uh, chesapeake boat parts or wh whatever they're called uh, they're building uh, they're selling stitch and glue kits for all kinds of boats big boats small boats and they had this one boat called the cocktail mm -hmm. class racer and it's just uh 1.2 meters long so that's like I don't know, like half a person mm -hmm. long, basically. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 1.2 1. would be like five feet, and five feet and change, basically. Five feet, yeah, five feet. So it's really, really small. And I thought, man, I could build this. But I thought, no, I want to build my own thing. And then ultimately it ended up with this hydrofoil thing. Very cool. So right, so hopefully is really interesting. Well, hopefully you survive, Max. Something for yeah. you to build, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'll make sure this will be edited if I don't. <laughs> upload it <laughs> yeah i guess uh, that's it for the week and you know thank you very much for having you 
it's been a thrill to talk to you just to hear your voice on this podcast because it thinks like i'm on a different podcast well, thank you guys for having me this has been a lot of fun it's always it's always fun to come in and spread the word about vr i know you know it, it's a it's a market that has had a you know the kind of start that most people expected you know a little bit of a slow start it's expensive and it's different and it, it changes things uh, the way you think about computers but it, it's something i remain really excited about and and as a tool for creators i think it's it's incredible so uh thank you all for having me and and um yeah, keep up the good work i really enjoyed the show Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate it. Good luck with your company, obviously. And one last tip from you. What if people want to um, experience full VR in its best oh. and full quality? What so, do they have uh, to get? I mean, I, I, like, I recommend the Vive. There's a new high-end Vive coming out very soon now in the first quarter of 2018. Um, I don't know that you necessarily need that. I think you'll, you know, if you're more budget conscious, you can get the lower end version. But if you want to try the Fusho, you don't even have to have a VR headset. You can just go to Steam, search for Fusho, and we come up. Uh, we have four episodes in the store right now. You can try the Firewatch episode for free. And if you like it, then there's three more uh, that'll be there that you can check out. And uh, all you need is a gamepad and a computer that can run the most basic of video games. So, Awesome. That's very neat. Great. Now, what about you, Max? Where can we, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter on uh, Max underscore Maker underscore YT and on Instagram, uh, Max Maker as well. And of course on YouTube, it's called Max Maker. Very cool. And if you want to find me, I'm uh, at Jeremy S. Cook on Twitter. And on YouTube, I'm also Jeremy S. Cook. So it should be easy enough to find. Awesome. Cool. So, all right. Well, thanks. Thanks so much. And we'll, uh, I guess we'll talk to you later. Thanks, guys. Best of luck. Bye-bye.